Good morning, church. Let's go to God one more time to ask him to help us to understand his word. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, as we look to your word, we ask that uh, by your spirit, you would grant us understanding. Uh, Lord, encourage and convict where you see fit. Bring glory to your name as a, as a result of our time around your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, you've heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, two Princeton psychologists a few years ago observed that although we give this advice, we rarely take it. Through a series of experiments, their research found that all it takes is a tenth of a second for a person to form a first impression of a stranger from their face. And that longer exposure doesn't actually significantly alter those first impressions, although it actually might boost their confidence in whatever that first impression or judgment was. You know, I think most of us will agree that it's unwise to live our lives based off of one-tenth of a second long first impression, right? The Bible is full of warnings against living a life based on appearances or, or walking by sight. It's the height of spiritual danger and in the end leaves us missing the only thing that lasts beyond this life. So if the world lives lives based on the here and the now, on appearances and circumstances, well then how are Christians to live differently. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 31 to 35. Uh, that's found on page 819 in the Pew Bibles. That's 819 in the Pew Bibles. And as we always say here, uh, if you do not have your own Bible at home to read for yourself, to read God's Word for yourself, feel free to take that Bible uh, with you as a gift from us to you. We would want nothing more than for you to be able to read God's Word on your own. So with that in mind, our text for this morning, Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So complementing our sermon series through Genesis, we've been studying Jesus' parables here in Matthew 13. And although, and although these books were written over a thousand years apart from one another, there's a common theme, a common thread in both of them. Uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, and enjoying God's blessing. Uh, in Genesis, we have a historical narrative recounting the first promises of a kingdom coming. And in Matthew 13, we have a commentary on that very kingdom uh, from the king himself. 
And King Jesus continues his commentary in the form of parables. Remember, a parable being an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In the Gospels, these were practical stories that illustrated spiritual truths. And all of these parables in chapter 13 are declaring the truth about the kingdom of God. Uh, each one highlighting specific aspects or characteristics of what the kingdom is like. So then what exactly does Jesus want us to understand about the kingdom of God here in our text for this morning? Well, Jesus wants us to notice something of the size and its impact. Or to put it differently, it's, it's width and its depth. Uh, Jesus is setting, maybe even correcting, our expectations about his kingdom. So consider with me our main idea for this morning. Although the kingdom of heaven may appear small, its reach will be wide and its impact deep. Although the kingdom of heaven may appear small, its reach will be wide and its impact deep. So two points for you this morning. I'll go ahead and lay them out there for you. Point number one, the size of the kingdom. And point number two, the impact of the kingdom, the size and the impact of the kingdom. And as we study God's word here for us today, I pray that this would produce in us, this passage, a humble confidence uh, and an enduring hope, a confidence and hope that is rooted in the promise that what God started, surely he will finish. So beginning with point number one, the size of the kingdom found in verses 31 and 32. So Matthew states in verse 31, and we see it again in verse 33, that here we have another parable from Jesus aimed at the crowds. Uh, we learn in verse 34, at this point in Jesus' public ministry, that he never spoke to crowds without using a parable. Now, this isn't to say that all he did was speak in parables, uh, but rather that when he did speak, he always included a parable. And in this parable, like he did with the previous ones that we've studied, he continues with his use of agricultural imagery, a familiar reference for his original audience. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. The God of the universe, the one who spoke creation into existence, the one who knows the numbers of hairs on our head, the one who holds the stars in the sky, God Almighty, his rule, and his reign over his people, Jesus says, begins like a mustard seed. Hmm. You know, without even knowing much about a mustard seed, you can imagine the looks on the faces of those in the crowd as they listen to Jesus, right? Confused, and maybe caught off guard. I mean, maybe some of them even, even laughed at him at this point in his sermon. Friends, they were all too familiar with what a kingdom looked like. After all, at the very moment that Jesus was preaching this very parable, the Roman Empire was occupying the very ground that they stood on. So to compare a kingdom, uh, and, and not just any kingdom, but, but God's kingdom, to a seed had to have surprised his listeners. But it's not just any seed that Jesus uses in this illustration. It, it's a mustard seed. A mustard seed was the smallest seed cultivated in first century Israel, and it was so commonly known for being so tiny that the seed itself was and still is used proverbially for smallness, right? Jesus himself would use it this way later in the book of Matthew, in chapter 17, verse 20, when referencing the lack of faith that the disciples had after being unable to cast 
a demon out of a boy. In the beginning of verse 32, Jesus doubles down. For anyone who may not have known right away the significance of a mustard seed, he says, it is the smallest of all seeds. So, so why? why? Why did Jesus choose to equate the kingdom of heaven with the smallest of all seeds? Well, I think for a few reasons. Uh, first, to show us and his original audience that God's ways are not like our ways. God's ways are not like our ways. Where we use force, he uses gentleness. Where we get impatient, he continues to be long-suffering. Where we want a political champion, he gives us a suffering servant. Our God is not like us, and praise God that he isn't. Israel was looking for something epic, a king that would physically overthrow the Roman oppressors. They weren't ready for the smallest beginnings of the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Which brings us to the second reason that Jesus chose a mustard seed, to, and that being to highlight the power and strength of God. So if the end result of the kingdom is a ransoming of a multitude from the grips of sin and death, and it starts like a mustard seed, well, then no human hands can grow this kingdom. However, this kingdom will come, will require a power and a might that finite human beings just simply do not possess. Oh, friends, this is a kingdom that God himself will usher in. This is a kingdom that we do not have the power to bring about. Therefore, oh, we must pray for it. Like Jesus taught the disciples earlier in Matthew, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So a question for you. How often do you pray this? Uh, consider using some of your prayer time this week to pray that the kingdom of God would come. And the third reason, uh, to grow us in humility to grow us in humility. Consider the last time that you were unable to do something basic for yourself. Uh, maybe you had an injury or a surgery or a stomach bug that kind of puts you down, and you were fully dependent on someone else for, for basic care. You know, it, it's humbling to realize your weakness and inability. And in the same way, humility should be our response when we consider the kingdom of God and the role in which we play in it. The Lord does not need us in the advancement of his kingdom, but instead we get to participate in this amazing plan of salvation, specifically through the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, the Lord loves to use the lowly to advance the kingdom. The use of the mustard seed is meant to grow our view of God, but it also says something about the kingdom itself. Though the initial appearance of the kingdom may seem inconsequential, like a mustard seed, don't be deceived. Uh, don't judge a book by its cover. It won't remain that way. The rest of verse 32. Uh, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Uh, from a grain to a tree. Uh, a tree that is larger than all the other garden plants. 
so large that birds can perch in its branches and make nests. Uh, what began as a synonym for small uh, will be bigger than we can imagine. Uh, what often was, was and is overlooked will one day be impossible to ignore. The growth of the kingdom of heaven is broad. It reaches places and spaces that we would least expect. The kingdom of God extends through time and space and cannot and will not be stopped. Uh, we get a glimpse of this future glory, this kingdom consummated in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle John writes, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All is proclaimed. The kingdom advances. This means that every Christian is a part of the Great Commission. The question is not if the Lord has called you to go, but where he has called you to go and share. Some here, right now, that might mean crossing a large body of water to share the gospel with an unreached people group. For others, it might look like mustering up the, the courage to, to finally articulate to your coworkers or, or classmates or neighbor why exactly it is you choose to forego the world's idea of your best life and instead prioritize your church and your time with God's people. Praise God that the branches of the kingdom of heaven stretch far and wide. Uh, brothers and sisters, they stretched far enough to reach you and me. Some commentators suggest that the birds of the air in our passage for this morning uh, are alluding to Gentiles being grafted into the people of God. Uh, you could say we, you know, unless you are of a, uh, a brother or sister of Jewish descent, are the birds of the air that come from far off places to find refuge in the family of God. Friends, whether it was a faithful parent or a preacher in service on a Sunday, or for me, in my case, a, a six-foot-six uh, Birkenstock-wearing man in college ministry named John, which was the case, again, for me, the gospel came to us through someone else. So who will you go and share the gospel with this week? Who will you tell of the greatest news, that the only news that can save you from the wrath of God? The Apostle John in Romans 10, 14 to 17. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Uh, the kingdom of heaven grows from hearing and believing the word of Christ, uh, the gospel, the good news that although we have sinned against a holy God, out of his amazing grace, he has made a way for sinners like you and me to live forever with him. And the only way he has given us is through the life, death, and resurrection of his only son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, a fully God and fully man, lived a life in complete honor and obedience to God the Father. And his life 
It culminated in being wrongly accused and being hung on a cross. It was on that cross that he died and he was buried in a tomb. But what sets Jesus apart from anyone else in human history is that three days later, he got up. Three days later, he rose from that tomb, defeating sin and death. In raising from the dead, Jesus guaranteed that God's kingdom will come one day fully and finally. And now all who trust in Jesus and who he is, that he is God, and what he's done, that he's died and rose from the grave, can also be a part of this kingdom. Friends, this is the greatest news of all time. The, king that began, the kingdom that began like a mustard seed will grow and be large enough for all who repent and believe in Jesus. Friends, this is the gospel. So pray. Pray for one another in this. Pray for boldness to share Christ. Here's a bold yet God-honoring prayer. Ask the Lord if you should be the one sent out from this church to evangelize a people group in need of the gospel. Pray for our missionaries who are laboring to share Christ. Friends, I'm so encouraged by the ways in which we already do this uh, Sunday after Sunday during our pastoral prayer. We, I don't know if you've noticed, but we pray for the, country, we pray for the nations. There's always a country that, that whoever's preaching up here or, or giving that prayer will mention and pray for. I'm even aware of a group of you that gather monthly specifically to pray for missionaries and, the nation, and that the nations be reached with the gospel. Uh, the kingdom advances as the church bears witness to it. May we, the Oakhurst Baptist Church, always be busy advancing the kingdom until Jesus himself returns. But Jesus has more to teach us about his kingdom. Uh, look with me at the second parable beginning in verse 33. I'll read it for us again. He told them another parable. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Uh, point number two, the impact of the kingdom. Uh, leaven, or more commonly known as yeast, was used in ancient Palestine to cause dough to rise. A bread without leaven would be known as unleavened bread, uh, which might actually sound familiar. We see this uh, among the many feasts in the Old Testament, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Uh, this was a time when the Israelites ate no bread with yeast or leaven in remembrance of their haste in preparing for the exodus from Egypt. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in places like 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 5, uh, leaven was often associated with evil. And Paul warns, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, just as Israel was to remove yeast from their bread, so are Christians to purge their lives uh, of evil and sin and live a new life of godliness and righteousness. Uh, but here in this parable, Jesus isn't equating leaven to, with, with evil. Uh, but instead, like the mustard seed, he's equating it with the, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I know baking sourdough bread has become all the rage since the pandemic, but I trust not everyone in this room knows exactly how leaven or yeast works. So leaven is a, is a live organism, and living organisms need fuel. In this case, uh, simple sugar, which is found in flour. And when leaven is added to flour, it consumes the sugar and creates two things, ethanol and carbon dioxide. It's the carbon dioxide that causes the bread to rise and expand. Uh, the very essence of the flour 
is changed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Another thing to note to really help us understand what Jesus is doing here is that generally when baking bread, very little leaven is required for the bread to rise. Uh, this is alluded to with the word hid in our passage. There is so little leaven that it is able to be hidden among the three measures of flour. Uh, so similarly, the mustard seed parable that Jesus, to, the similar, uh, to the mustard seed parable, Jesus is also highlighting the idea that leaven, or the kingdom of God, begins small. It is, it is hidden. So do these two parables make the same point? Well, yes and no. A mustard seed begins small and grows into something large. Leaven, on the other hand, begins small, and it doesn't so much grow itself as it does change the flower that it comes into contact with. Friends, the leaven creates a transformation, and the, the flower will no longer be the same again. The passage says that this small quantity of leaven is hidden in three measures of flour. Uh, three measures of flour, or three sias of flour, which happens to be the actual, the same amount of flour that we saw last week in Genesis 18, where, that Sarah prepared for the Lord. I don't think Dave said this, but that, that, that number, that measurement, actually equates to 50 pounds of flour. Now, now, I think we begin to see the thrust of this parable when we realize what that converts to. Just a little bit of leaven is added to 50 pounds of flour, and given enough time, the text says that all of the flour was leavened. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We learn from the parable of the leaven, it begins small, it changes from the inside out, and results in a complete transformation. It begins small, it changes from the inside out, and it results in a complete transformation. The beginnings of the kingdom will be small. Consider Jesus' personal ministry. Friends, it started with 12 disciples, right? Fishermen, tax collector, a zealot from a random place in Galilee, it was from this small group that the kingdom would begin to spread. We can even look back just a little over 500 years ago from today, and we see the small beginnings of the Reformation. What won't the Lord do if his people are faithful? The kingdom is advancing. The gospel is winning. Take courage, Christian. Don't be deceived by appearances. As loud and popular as the culture may seem, it stands no chance against the kingdom of God. There is no need to try to take measures in your own hands. Jesus himself guarantees the victory, and friends, he needs no assists. Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not, he didn't say might not, but will not prevail against the church. They didn't in the first century, they won't in the 21st century, and they will not in the next century if the Lord tarries. Jesus is alive. He is ruling and reigning, and he will come back and establish his kingdom once and for all. Amen. And what a privilege it is that we, the church, get to play a part. Friends, don't be mistaken. He does not need us in the advancement of the kingdom. It's like the toddler helping his mom uh, in the kitchen. Dinner does not depend on him. Yet he chooses, he chooses to use us. What a privilege it is to spend and be spent for the Lord. It is the church that is created by the kingdom. It is the church that is the custodian of the kingdom. To be clear, it's not the church that builds the kingdom, 
but instead it's the church that bears witness to the kingdom as we play our part, calling the rebellious world to submit to the lover of our souls, Jesus the Christ, all by the power of the Spirit, waiting and praying for him to work. Another detail of the kingdom that we learn through this parable of the leaven is that it changes from the inside out. You know, you can imagine after a little bit of the kneading of the dough, that the leaven is, is nowhere to be found, or so it seems, right? Invisible to the eye, yet hidden within these three measures of, of flour, the leaven slowly but surely begins to work from the inside out. Uh, to the naked eye, it's a large lump of dough, but from the inside, a transformation is taking place, a transformation that is all-encompassing. And so it is with the kingdom. It advances through the invisible and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that takes place within the human heart. We all begin life dead in our sins, no spiritual life, not seeking after God, but worse, enemies of God. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The kingdom of heaven grows and spreads through regenerated hearts, a complete transformation. When the heart changes, the whole man changes. Four things to consider about regeneration. Regeneration, first, is rebirth. Regeneration is rebirth. In John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus he must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Upon our physical birth, we inherited sin. But upon our new birth, we are made alive spiritually. Naturally, we are dead in our sins. But supernaturally, we are made alive by the Holy Spirit. We are born again. Two, uh, regeneration is a radical change. A radical change. When a person is made new, they are given a new heart with new desires that grow for the things of God. The believer begins to live a life of faith and holiness. At 2 Corinthians 5.17, we become new creations. And friends, this is solely the work of God and not man. It's God's great love and free gift, his rich grace and abundant mercy that causes the new birth. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power on display in the regeneration and conversion of sinful people like you and me. Third, uh, regeneration is necessary. Regeneration is necessary. Not only is the new birth radical, but it's also necessary. Sinful humans cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. Uh, regeneration is not optional. Physical birth fits us for earth. We need spiritual rebirth to fit us for heaven. Before salvation, we are degenerate. We are, after salvation, we are regenerated. The result is peace with God, new life, and eternal sonship. And last, fourth, regeneration comes by faith in the finished work of Christ. Uh, friends, no amount of good works or keeping the law can regenerate the heart. Romans 3.20 supports that. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Only Christ offers a cure for the totally depraved human heart. 
We don't need renovation or reformation or reorganization. Friends, we need regeneration. We need rebirth. So for those here this morning who have not trusted in Christ for salvation, friend, you have not been born again. You have not been regenerated. I would encourage you to heed the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. Friend, you must be born again. Jesus has been clear that there is a kingdom coming where he will lovingly rule and reign over his people. A kingdom reserved for those who have trusted in the work of Christ. But for those who continue in sin and rebellion, they will have no place in this kingdom, but instead will be separated from God, enduring his wrath forever. So I beg you to receive this free gift of grace while there is still time. While there's still breath in your lungs, turn from your sins and put your trust in him. Put your trust in him as savior, because the next time he comes, he will come as judge. Lastly, we see this idea of a complete transformation. Notice back in verse 33 how just a little leaven hidden in 50 pounds of flour, and the text says it was all leavened. Friends, there is a hope and a confidence that we can glean from this part of the passage. At an individual level, we can trust that the work of the Holy Spirit will be completed in the life of every believer. Brother or sister, if you are discouraged about your faith, your growth in the faith, take heart. What God starts, he will always finish. And he does so through the means of grace that he has provided. So press on in prayer. Study the Bible daily. Disciple and be discipled by others. Confess your sin. Gather with the church on Sunday. Add all of these ingredients to your life, and the Lord will grow you in spiritual maturity. And on a corporate level, this all can encourage us to remain hopeful and steadfast as a body of believers in a world that is hostile to God and the gospel. God's kingdom will come, and God's causes will triumph, and there is no space or no place and no person that is beyond the reach of the transformation of our king. Now, back in early September, I had the privilege of kicking off our series through the parables of Matthew 13, beginning with the parable of the sower. In that first parable, Jesus makes clear the purpose of parables, to conceal the kingdom of heaven from some and reveal the kingdom of heaven to others. Here in these last two verses in our text for this morning, Matthew reiterates the same idea. But this time, he inserts a characteristic appeal to prophecy. Uh, He finds not only individual events in Jesus' life and ministry to be fulfillments of prophecy, but also the very method of teaching in parables. So verse 34 and 35 for us once more. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Uh, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So Matthew here is quoting Psalm 78, which we read earlier as a congregation, specifically verse 2, which includes a long recounting of Israel's history. I would encourage you to check out the whole chapter uh, later on this afternoon. It's, It's really encouraging and also reminds us of God's faithfulness even today as we read God's word. 
The author, Asaph, highlights significant points in their history, such as the Exodus, in order to show that divine purpose had been worked out despite Israel's rebellion. In a sense, he was connecting the dots between events that they would have been very familiar with and what the Lord was doing through them all along. He was revealing that which for so long had been concealed to them. Uh, Asaph's work in revealing these things foreshadowed Jesus' work in revealing what had been hidden since the foundation of the world. Or, or to use the language from earlier in chapter 13, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Asaph was revealing what could not be known or understood by mere human understanding, and in doing so was pointing forward to a similar work that Jesus would accomplish through parables. Uh, just as God's salvation plan was made clear in Asaph's interpretation of history, uh, Matthew is saying so is God's salvation plan for all of mankind revealed by Jesus in parables for those who have ears to hear. So in comparing the beginning of the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed and leaven, Jesus was concealing the truth of the kingdom from those who simply wanted a better life now from those who were searching for relief from physical oppressors, failing to realize that the Messiah was here to do so much more than just that. He was here to free them and us from the bondage of sin and death. In Genesis 18 last week, we saw Sarah laugh at the Lord's promise that she would bear a son in her old age. Her eyes were on her circumstances how things appeared, not on what God had promised. Saints, may we never forget that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Christian, don't look at the mustard seed or the leaven and doubt. Look to what is imperishable. Look to what is undefiled. Look to what is unfading and kept in heaven for you. Look at the promised kingdom and press on in confidence and hope. Let's pray.